Good morning. You know, I used to preach some meetings around here and there, and I'd go to these churches, maybe a week-long meeting or whatever, and uh, the pastors would have assigned pew captains, and the pew captain's responsibility is to fill their pew. If that had been going on here, some of you guys are sloughing on the job. Because your pew is empty, Robert, except for you. We've got some in the kitchen. Some are away. Jabez's prayer. A good guide, I believe, for our church. First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Actually, I prepared Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday working on my next message from the second chapter of 1 John. And about Wednesday, I began to have this unrest. I just felt like, so I just stopped, my, my little prayer cubby hole, and spent time in prayer, and felt the Lord redirected me. So, I'm one up on next week. <laughs> I got some preparation done for that. But I believe this is, I clearly believe, I really believe, this is what God led me to do today. Let's speak about, I think the application is very good, a very good application for our church family where we are now. So thus we share it. First Chronicles chapter 4, 9 through 10. It's in the Pew Bibles. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, the Pew Bible, page 382. <clears throat> Page 382. We'll read our text in a moment. Most scholars believe in agreement that First and Second Chronicles were written somewhere during the post-exilic period, after the exile, no later than the 5th century B.C., but more than likely somewhere around 400 or so B.C. Uh, in the early Hebrew manuscripts, First and Second Chronicles was one, on one scroll, just one scroll, and uh, the earliest evidence of it being split into two books was uh, in the uh, translate, Greek translation called the Septuagint. And that's about 200 B.C., first time it was split into two as far as any evidence we know of. Jewish uh, transition has suggested Ezra as the author of First and Second Chronicles. Um, good candidate. I don't think they have found any convincing evidence that it is be. He really is, uh, or was, the, the author of it. Maybe true, maybe not. But whatever we can say about this author of First and Second Chronicles, he was one meticulous historian because there is so much detail there. The Hebrew title for that one scroll that comprised both First and Second Chronicles was this, simply this, the words concerning the days. The words concerning the days. That was the Hebrew title of that one scroll. And specifically, the Chronicles provide the historical record of the days, all the days of the Davidic kings. If you go to First Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1, it starts with Adam. If you go to the end of Second Chronicles, that last verse, you'll find that's uh, verse chapter 36, 
22 of the, 23 of Second Chronicles, you'll find that it speaks of King Cyrus and the edict that he issued there, and that was in 538 B.C., and that's the end of it. So that whole period there is in first, the history of it, in lots of detail in First and Second Chronicles. The focus being on the lineage of David. Genealogical records are always very important to the Jews. And down through the years, particularly up into the destruction of the temple, and that fouled up a lot of stuff, but it's always and still is important. So it had the lineage of David, but also the priestly order, Levitical order, you know, all of that delineated there in First and Second Chronicles. The purpose was and is to show God's elective and preserving grace on His covenant people. God's electing and preserving grace on His covenant people. However, it's no less valuable to us than it was to them in their day and to them in this day. For at the same time, it's instruction and encouragement to us, His new covenant people, those who have come to faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because He is a covenant-keeping God. He does what He says He's going to do, and He always does that. He doesn't change and so we have great encouragement when we look at the Old Testament and watch how God has brought this covenant people Israel along and see all these things that were prophesied come literally true. An example of the prophecies concerning the Messiah, 125 plus prophecies pertaining to the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, literally fulfilled, every solitary one of them. So we can look forward to the future, the rest of these prophecies concerning His second coming and say, wow, this is the way it's going to be because this is what our God said it would be. It's going to come to pass. Let's read our text. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9. Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wast bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And the Lord granted him that which he requested. And the Lord granted him that which he requested. Let's pray. Holy Father, we love you. We love your word, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this treasure, the treasure of your scriptures preserved for our instruction. Oh, Father, enable us to read it with spiritual wisdom and knowledge and understanding and holy retention that it would stick like glue in our hearts, our minds, our souls. Direct me this day, Father, Carry me along, wear me like a garment. We're here to learn of you, to be encouraged from your word. And so that at the end, we commit ourselves in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, Jabez. It's interesting that in these two verses, or these four verses here, Really, you find the whole summary of his life. That's it. It's just epitaph, Jabez. <laughs> and it was sobering to think about this, really, from my own perspective. It was, wow, 
if my whole life, when day is done on earth, my whole life, there's just four verses or four sentences that describe my whole life. And it's going to be preserved forever. What would I want them to be? Because this word is preserved, is it not? Long time after Jabez is gone to glory. His epitaph there. Another thing about this thing is this. That his, these verses about Jabez come in a long line of genealogies. Beginning in the first, first verse, chapter 4 there. Long, lengthy genealogy of the sons of Judah. Okay? With dozens of names before him, dozens of names after him. And what's striking about this is this. That there is no genealogical link to Jabez either before or after his name. We're going down so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, and afterwards begot, begot, begot. And here's Jabez right in the midst of all of that. Striking, because genealogical records are so very important to the Jews. We don't know who he begot, if anybody. We don't know who begot him. Somebody did, but we don't know who it was. The only thing we know about his genealogy is this, that his mother named him Jabez because she bore him with sorrow. Verse 4, last part. That was his name. That word sorrow is a Hebrew word, otseb, O-T-S-E-B. It means pain, hurtful. So she, I bore him with pain. Translated sorrow here. Certainly translates other places sorrow, but pain, hurtful, difficulty. There's always pain associated with childbirth. This sounds like something beyond the norm. Because, you know, she's out here with these, all these other Israelite women, and they said, well, what are you writing about this? We all had pain bearing our children, too. It seems like it's something beyond the norm. Maybe he was breach birth situation. Maybe he was born in exile under very adverse conditions in exile. Or maybe he was born on the way back to the promised land after the exile, all by foot, walking along those dusty Judean hills. In any event, Jabez's name memorialized the, associate, the difficulty associated with his birth. That's something to think of. How would you like to be named hard labor or something like that that memorialized the agony or the suffering that your mother endured bringing you in to this world. If you do a biblical search, word search, you'll find that the name Jabez is only found in three verses in all of the scripture. Just three. Two of them are in our text. The other place you find is in 1 Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 55. And this is that verse. It says, And the families of the scribes which dwelt at Jabez, the Terathites, the Shimeathites, and the Suchathites, and the Kenites. These are the Kenites that came of Hamath, the father of the house, a 
reach out. And some scholars suggest that this town named Jabez was named after Jabez. This is where the scribes dwelt, a lot of the scribes. Maybe, maybe not. We can't deduce that from the text, uh, but it is a possibility. Well, what can we deduce from the text about Jabez? First of all, there was definitely a man named Jabez because it's recorded in the text. And we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture, do we not, all of us? What does that mean? Verbal plenary inspiration? Verbal plenary inspiration. It means every word found in the Bible is given to us by God. That's the verbal part. Everything in the Bible is authoritative. That's the plenary part. And every word is also divinely directed. That's the inspired part. Verbal, plenary, inspired word of God. This doesn't contain the word of God. This is the word of God. And there's a vast difference in in the interpretive analysis of that out there in the marketplace of Christianity. This doesn't just contain the Word of God. This is the Word of God from Genesis to the maps, and it's authoritative. It tells us how to live and how to serve our Father. Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And note that this is not popular opinion. I don't know if he has popular or despised. But God said that. That's the Lord's word saying, Jabez was more honorable than all his brothers. I tell you what, I don't have any brothers biologically, but I have brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a powerful witness from the lips of the Lord. He is more honorable. Praise God for Jabez. And he was a man of prayer. Charles Spurgeon, loved to read some of the things he's written. Charles Spurgeon said it, speaking about Jabez as eloquently as he often spoke. As far as this Jabez, whose aim was so well pointed, his frame, his fame so far sounded, his name so lastingly embalmed, he was a man of prayer. <laughs> All that going in there, his name lastingly embalmed, and certainly it is preserved for our instruction hundreds of years after Spurgeon even wrote that. Now let's look at the prayer. Four stanzas. Oh, that thou would bless me indeed, enlarge my coast, that your hand would be upon me, and thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. First stanza, bless me indeed, Lord. The word bless is the Hebrew word barak, barak. (laughs) 
You know, I have, there's a, there's a part in here that's devious. You know, I just want to confess that up front. There's this thing. And when I was studying this, I, first time, I, Barak, Barak. That sounds familiar. Barack Hussein Obama. Barack in Hebrew, I'm not saying that was Hebrew. I'm just saying Barack in Hebrew means to bless. So would that be translated bless Hussein Obama? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Don't know. I'll leave that with you. I just report. You decide. Those are crazy thoughts that come into my mind from time to time. But to the bless, it means to bless God as an act of worship or vice versa, to be blessed by God as a benefit upon his children, you and I. Jabez says, Lord, bless me indeed. Well, in a biblical sense, if we ask God to bless us, when God blesses something, we're asking him to do what only he can do, to impart his divine favor upon you and I, or our church. We're asking God to bless, do what only you can do, Lord. It takes more than us. It takes more than what we can do. Lord, do what only you can do. That's what it means to bless. And then he added the word, indeed. And that means abundance in the Hebrew there. He was asking the Lord to bless me a lot. Bless me a lot, Lord. God love this guy. Bless me abundantly. Second stanza. Enlarge my coast. The Hebrew word coast is the word uh, uh, gebol, G-E-B-U-L. And it can be translated coast, border, territory, area, or whatever. And Job, uh, Jabez asked it to be enlarged. Enlarge my coast or enlarge my border. Now, the, the, the pronoun my would tell you he already had something, right? And he already re- he recognized that the source of what he had was from God. Right? Enlarge what I now have, Lord. Enlarge my coast, my border, my territory. Simple. Asking God to enlarge what he already had. And he's asking for him to bless him a lot. And that word enlarge there, it means become much. Bless it. A large territory, a large border, whatever that might have referred to in his life. Third stanza. That hand, that thy hand may be upon me. Now, when the Lord's hand upon us is upon us, it's a biblical term for God's presence and power in the lives of his people, them and us, every single one of us. When God's hand upon us, it's a sign of God's presence and power. It can be blessing, right? Or it could be corrective. Just need be. Here's some examples from Scripture. Joshua chapter 4. 23 through 24. And I'm talking about on the positive end of the equation now, not the corrective end of the equation. Because you see, God's purpose is to bring glory to his name through what he does for his people. Joshua chapter 4, 23 through 24. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us 
until we were gone over. Verse 24, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that they that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. So as a witness without, those out there will know that your hand is upon us, God, and it's mighty, and it's a witness to us that we will walk in obedience, trusting your sovereign power. Second Corinthians 16, 9, Second Chronicles, excuse me. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Acts eleven twenty one for a New Testament example. The hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Four stands up. And that would keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. <laughs> the word grieve there is the, from the same Hebrew word where his name came from. Jabez grieved, the play on words there. It's where his mother got that name. You know that Jabez does not pray, Lord, bless me through evil. He says, protect me from evil. Protect me from it. Keep me out of it. The model prayer, Matthew chapter 6. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Same thing. Don't lead us there. Deliver us from that. Keep me from evil. So those are his four stanzas. What do you think? What do you think about his prayer? Have you ever prayed this for yourself? At, do, at first, just first glance of it, do you think it's kind of a little bit of centricism there? He's a little me-centered and selfish. Do you think that? If you were to read these verses in the New Living Translation, which should not be your study Bible. Got it? Should not be. It says this. Oh, that you would bless me and extend my lands. Please be with me in all I do and keep me from trouble and pain. Now, that sounds like Jabez is looking out for himself right there. It does sound selfish. But if you don't consider it selfish, why not? The key's in the text. Right there in the text. The key. Last phrase. And God granted him that which he requested. (laughs) That's the key. Because God knew something about Jabez that casual observers on the outside did not understand. God granted him that he was requested. 1 Samuel 17, verse 7, last part of the verse. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. Obviously, when the Lord was looking upon the heart of Jabez, he was pleased with what he saw. Right? He was pleased 
with what he saw when he looked upon the heart of Jabez. And because of that, he granted him what he requested. So, should you or I pray this prayer? In answer to my own question, I would say, of course. Would the Lord answer our request? Yes, if, looking upon our hearts, he was pleased with what he saw. If he was pleased with what he saw, as he was pleased with what he saw, when he looked at Jabez's heart, he would answer. If what we were asking for was in keeping with his perfect will for you and me, let's face it. You probably have. I certainly have. I prayed for things I wanted to get done. I'm so grateful the Lord didn't do that. When I got a little farther down the road, I bless God for his protective grace and my stupidity. I was charging towards a ditch, you know, spiritually. God protected me. Those no's are important. They're just as important as the yeses in answer to our prayers. Obviously, Jabez's prayer was in keeping with the will of God. If you look at 1 John Chapter 5, 14 and 15. This is a confidence. Jabez had confidence. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Jabez, Jabez had confidence before God in prayer. And God heard his prayer because he looked at Jabez's heart and he was pleased with what he saw. What Jabez asked for, he got. He already had a coast, a border, a territory. The Lord gave him more. The Lord's hand was already up on him, and Jabez recognized that as God was the source of what he had. And he asked for more. And, and God answered that prayer, and his hand was on him. And the Lord protected him from evil. That it caused no pain or shame. It's interesting, you know, Jabez doesn't, uh, now he was a man of faith and he was a man of prayer. Jabez puts no definitives in his request. He doesn't ask for a new chariot or, you know, details like that. Health, fame, fortune, nothing. He became famous, right? Right here in the pages of scripture. He is only asking for more of what he already had. But he was not asking for what he could get himself. Do you understand that? Jabez was not asking for more of what he could do for himself. He was asking for more of what only God could do. Asking for supernatural blessings. He wanted all the abundant blessings that God had for him. And I don't blame him. I want the same thing for me and thee and our church family. All the abundant blessings that God has for us. Proverbs 10, 22, The blessings of the Lord maketh rich. He adds no sorrow with it. You know, lots of blessing can be treacherous. Blessings can be the source of great perils. Because all of a sudden we have so many blessings. We're so well off materially or financially or whatever and we forget 
the cognizant daily of our total dependence upon the Lord. It can be dangerous. So what the Lord blesses us with abundantly, we must receive very gratefully aware that he can give or taketh away. That's what a very wealthy man named Job said. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His request for the Lord to enlarge his coasts certainly indicated coast or border. He wanted more property, maybe more influence, more ministry opportunities. Who knows what all was involved with that? Enlarge my coast. Property, influence, whatever. But Jabez knew it was a seat. God was the source. That's the main thing. And that the Lord's hand would be with him. The Lord's presence and power with me, Lord, in everything that I do and protect me from evil. And I would suggest, and the text doesn't say this, but I would suggest protect me from evil within and evil without. And sometimes, maybe more often than not, our greatest enemy is within. Fear, wrong motives, attitudes, lusty eyes, lust of flesh, pride of life, whatever it may be. More on the inside of a problem than on the outside. So, questions to consider. Should we pray this prayer ourselves? Would the Lord answer our request? In my opinion, this is not some magic formula, obviously, to get what we want from God. It is flat not that. This is a record of a man of faith and prayer request before the Father, and the Father gave him what he asked because God was pleased with what he saw. And that's key. God was pleased with what he saw. And if God sees qualities in us, individually and collectively as our church family, yeah, I think we ought to pray like that. I think it would be very beneficial for us to pray like that. And trust the Lord in accordance with his sovereign and perfect will for us individually and collectively as a church family to do what only he can do. That's what we want. We want God to do only what he can do. Why? Because it manifests that his name is precious to us and his hand is upon us who are precious to him. And it's a witness that goes out from our individuals and from the church family all around those who know us. It's obvious. It'll become obvious and more obvious that the Lord's hand is upon us. Two things to remember, though. One in a positive note, one in a negative. Matthew 7, 27, on a positive note. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Sounds good. The negative side, James 4, 3. Ask, you ask, and you have not. You receive not, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Now, I'll tell you, I wasn't there living in the community with Jabez, but I can tell you something. He wasn't praying to consume it on his lust 
because God would never answer his prayer in the first place. And John chapter 5, or 2, 24 and 25, has an interesting text right there because Jesus is in town. He's the most popular evangelist around now, walking the earth and miracles and hordes following him. And he preaches the gospel of the kingdom and gobs of people come forward saying they believed in him. And then it says that Jesus did not, however, commit himself to them. And the Greek word translated believe and the Greek word translated commit are identical. They said they believed in him because of the miracles that they saw, but Jesus did not believe in them because he saw what? He saw what was in them and he knew what was not there. And he knows what's in you and me and what's not there. And I'll tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I hope he's as pleased with what he sees in me and thee as he is with what he doesn't see. You know, know, we look, you know, tell the angels, look at old Bratcher down there. Look what we're not finding in him anymore. Praise God. Look what we are finding. Hope from him yet. Whatever. The Lord sees in us, individually and collectively as a family, what he saw in Jabez, we can have the same success in praying. Praying to be abundantly blessed, increasing our borders, his hand upon us, protection from evil, etc. So that with his holy enablement, we might serve him in our generation, individually and collectively as a church family, to his pleasure. Bring him more and more glory, honor, and praise, and be very, very effective in our service to him. If, if serving him and his purpose and pleasure takes precedence over our own desires and earthly agendas. That's the big if. One thing for certain about all this. The only limit, the only limit on the Lord's blessings is found in us and never, ever in him. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward us that we always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Randy and some guys are going to pass out some handouts now. And uh, it's a prayer guide that I believe is very important, very appropriate for our church family at this time. And it's based on the prayer of Jabez. And while Jabez did not list any definitives and asking for blessings, I've taken the liberty to suggest some. Okay? So, it's a prayer guide. I'm taking, offering a suggestion to our church family. Anybody not have one? No, we've got a lot to go here yet. Okay, we're getting there.
over here. Everybody have one now? Okay, there'll be extras back there at the back. And I'd like for everyone in our church family to have one. Because this includes all of us. Let's go through it here, what it says. And that first stanza, Lord, that thou would bless us indeed. These are some suggestions. That's it. From my heart to yours. Bless us indeed, Lord, so that the brothers of your choosing would be identified and selected to serve on a pastor search committee. And bless these, your chosen ones, the spirit of careful and prayerful discernment as they seek to serve you in this important mission for our church. Bless them, Lord, your chosen ones, with clear discernment as they follow you to your chosen pastor for our church family that will faithfully preach the gospel and teach the whole counsel of God to us through the years to come. Number four, that our whole church family would be blessed with your presence and above all, this place will be a place where you're honored, that our church would be live quorum deo, that was one of Calvin's favorite terms. That means in the presence of God. That our church would literally live, abide in the presence of God. Second stanza. Lord, enlarge our, quarter, our, our coast, our border. Enlarge our border by increasing our impact and influence for the gospel in Tyler and the surrounding areas. That you would increase the number of our in our fellowship here, according to your pleasure. <clears throat> Enlarge our mission border according to your purpose for us. More missionaries and more missionary support in existing countries, additional missionaries in other countries, whatever. Enlarge our international internet ministry. More individuals tuning in in the existing 27 countries, our additional countries with new individuals joining us in worship as well. Lord, that your hand would be upon us, that we clearly understand your direction in all of our existing ministries and for any additional areas of ministry that you want us to add. That your grace and anointing would be on us individually and collectively as we seek to serve you during our appointed time on this, your earth. And that you would protect us of evil that there be no division in our fellowship from within or without, and there be no hindrances in our individual and corporate fellowship with you, Father. We're in this together. Think about those long, long, old roaring vessels, you know, seats along the side, oars for everybody to sit down next to. Imagine yourself in that, because that's what we're, we're in this boat together. And you sit down and take your position at your seat on the starboard or the port side, and you look down at the handle on this deal here, this handle, and it says, trust in the Lord, paddle, paddle, trust in the Lord. That paddle represents your and my praying. So if we are praying together and both all of us on the starboard and port side are actively rowing by faith in prayer, 
we can safely navigate this intersection we are now in and go on past it safely and straightly, traveling on in the highway of grace, staying right in the middle of God's will for our lives. I challenge you, ladies and gentlemen, in Jesus' name, to be about it. Let's pray together our way through this. Because you know what will happen? If we pray through this together and we understand the mind and heart of God for our church, we get out here and say, oh, wow, look what God did. Look whom God brought. Look who, to pastor, look at these additional brothers and sisters that are here. All this stuff. You know what? We'll have the joy of rejoicing together. Not in what we did, but in what God did right here. And there's not another body of Christ, portion of the body of Christ anywhere on the planet that's any more important to God than this one right here. So the way I see it, if God looks at us and sees in our hearts, individually and collectively, what pleases him, it would not seem to be any rhyme or reason. I can find that God wouldn't answer our prayers. Well, let's pray together. Holy Father, we love you. I believe I speak for all of us, Lord. We want to do your will. Lord, we want to we want to proceed forward and continue on staying in the center of your will. So Lord, we're asking for what only you can provide. That your hand would be upon us with power and direction. That you'd bless us indeed as we proceed seeking your will in all things. That you protect us because we know when you bless, Satan despises it. And we don't want any division to dishonor you. We don't want a division to wound ourselves, Lord. We don't want any hindrance, Father, to being in perfect, free fellowship with you, individually and together as a church family. No hindrances, Lord, to our fellowship with you. Bless us, Lord, indeed, and quicken our hearts to pray according to your will. And pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take.